This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 54. I'm excited to have with me someone who is truly passionate about aviation and will be able to help answer many of your questions concerning various flying jobs. One recurring question I get, I receive from listeners is, are you still passionate about aviation even after all these years as an airline pilot? <laughs> well, to help us answer this question and many more is Eric, Eric Oxier. Did I say that right, Eric? That's exactly correct. Good job. <laughs> well, Eric is an airline pilot by day, writer by night, and as he says, a kid by choice. Never one to believe in working for a living. Eric's past list of occupations include an Alaska bush pilot, freelance writer, mural artist, and a captain for a Caribbean airplane operation. He's now a captain for a major U.S. airline flying the Airbus A320, and uh, welcome to the podcast, Eric. Oh, thank you, Carl. <laughs> you know, that's one thing that uh, Eric and I have in common is uh, he's a left-seater in the A320. I'm a right-seater in the A320. And uh, people ask me, uh, do I really, really enjoy flying? And boy, I sure do. I love flying the airplane. But you know, before we get started, a real quick uh, announcements and also just got to mention our sponsors. If you could just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com and uh, visit our sponsors. They're right out there on the homepage. If you want to become a sponsor... Give us a, a shout, and we'll uh, you can click on the media kit, and we'll uh, put you on the show. And there's a lot of information about our listeners, etc. Also, if uh, you're interested in careers in, in anything, aviation, whatever it is, one of the things I think is important is that you listen to audiobooks. And what I've done is I set up a, a link here. It's uh, audibletrial.com slash careers. Or you can just click on the, the uh, link on the podcast there on the side of the page, and it's an audible link. And that'll give you uh, one month free, and, and you can download a book for free also. And that also helps support this podcast. So I'd really appreciate that. Again, it's audibletrial.com slash careers. Also, if you have any questions for Eric, for myself, uh, for anybody in that past guest, just go to the contacts page, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contacts. Another thing I'm really excited about is we're really growing our scholarships page, uh, aviationscholarshipsguide.com, or just go to the uh, scholarships tab within Aviation Careers Podcast. Also, any links and pictures for this episode, you can find it uh, at episode uh, 54, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 54. Well, on to the show. Uh, Eric, boy, I tell you, one thing I, that has been, been cool about looking at your blog and, and seeing what you've done with reading is that, you know, it seems like you have 20,000 hours of flying and you're still passionate about aviation. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a question. And, it, you know, it boils down to your attitude. I don't care who you are, what you're doing, where you're doing it. It's your attitude. Uh, you know, look at the guy on Dirty Jobs, you know. He's in there jumping in the, the, the pig stuff and uh, having a great old time. So I'm sorry. It's all about you. You figure out uh, if you want to have a crummy career or have a great career. And it doesn't really matter uh, how much good luck or bad luck you have. Uh, admittedly, I have had pretty good luck. But early on, uh, the first half of my career, my uh, paycheck was a yo-yo uh, up and down like you wouldn't believe. And uh, really, it's only in the in the last... 20 years, 15, 20 years that it's been somewhat steady and moving forward. So uh, all through that time, I, I have to credit my attitude uh, from day one. You just have to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you just have to uh, uh, just go in with the attitude that that you are in the middle of your dream. You might not be at the ultimate goal, but from hour one in an airplane, you're living out your dream. So just savor the journey. That's my best advice in that uh, in that regard. Well, Eric, I, I think that's great advice. And I know uh, some of you folks listening here have heard me say in the past that a lot of times you hear the complaints from those captains. are They're usually the ones that have been flying for a really long time and are making lots of money. Uh, a lot of times that, that happens uh, just in general in life. It doesn't matter that you're in, in a flying career. It just it just happens in general that you're like, gosh, my other friend is doing this. They're an attorney and they're making X amount of money. Uh, I have a friend that's a doctor. They're, they're making more money than I am. 
have another friend that's he's an executive. Well, the thing you got to realize is that you, you can't do it just for the money. I think Eric's probably going to agree with that. You got to do it because you like doing that job and you enjoy it because then the money's going to follow. And, and you know, you wind up spending so much money in that hobby or career or whatever it is outside of work. So it actually, for me, it saves me money. I don't know how you feel, Eric. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this career is so volatile and uh, the money really is uh, solely at the top of the, uh, the heap. Uh, and, uh, you know, not, uh, not everybody's going to get there. So, uh, you're going to be on food stamp wages for a good portion of your career. That's just a given. And then maybe you'll get to the point where you're making good money. So yeah, you can't come in here expecting to make the, uh, six figures, uh, right off the bat. You got to be, uh, ready to eat the top ramen and, uh, you know, like you did in just like you did in college. <laughs> and that's that's true. You know, it's funny because I, I tell people, you know, they, that you can make six figures to, in a fairly short amount of time. It may only take you six to ten years. And, uh, you know, most people think, wait a minute, that's not a short amount of time. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's not bad. I mean, you look at other careers that have this much training involved, and uh, that's that's not bad at all. But, but again... Don't just look at it for for the money. Look at it because it's something you really enjoy. Because you're gonna you'll quit early. I mean, I've uh, you know as people know, I've helped uh, furloughed pilots with the airlines find jobs, and the ones that usually leave the job once they get furloughed are the ones that were sold this idea that hey, I'm gonna be making six figures, I'm gonna be able to only fly six days a month, that kind of thing. Well, that that doesn't happen until. A long way down the road. It doesn't happen right away. And I'm sure, Eric, it, I mean, let, let's look at your career. It, how long do you think it took you before you made a, a really good income, an income that was very, very, you know, something that's comfortable? Right. Uh, well, like I said, uh, I, I really didn't uh, start getting that, that steady, reliable paycheck until the second half of my career. So it uh, took me uh, from, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, let's see, it took me 12 years from, uh, day one of, of my flight training to bag that, uh, dream airline career. And, uh, but that wasn't the end of my story. Uh, got furloughed, had to go fly a couple of other places, and then, uh, finally got recalled back to my airline. And, uh, I've been back ever since. So, uh, uh, I got recalled, uh, around the mid 90s. So we're coming up on 20 years now that it's uh, finally been steadily moving forward. I upgraded to captain around uh, right at, right in 2000 actually, uh, and uh, so I would say from uh, about 95 on, my my paycheck so forth has been somewhat steady and increasing. And uh, even then, uh, the airline uh, that that I'm with uh, had a relatively low pay scale until very recently. So to tell you the truth, it's uh, it's only been uh, the last uh, year or so that I'm really finally feeling like I'm on on top of everything, and uh, I'm not worried about uh, living paycheck to paycheck. It's been that long, so wow. again, it's not about the money. It's about you're uh, you're enjoying where you're at and just accepting it. And that's a great segue to our next topic. So don't do this for the money. Do it because you enjoy it. But it's really cool. Now, Eric gets to, to fly around the world, and he flies internationally as an A320 captain, an Airbus A320. What, what's that like? I mean, if, if somebody's thinking about going into this and, and taking all those years to get to where you are, you know, what, why would they do it? What are some of the cool things that you get to do? <laughs> well, you, you, you hit the nail on the head to world travel. Uh, I, I'm based uh, at my my airline base here uh, in Phoenix. Uh, I'm born, raised, and live and based in Phoenix, which is kind of an anomaly in this business, as you know. Um, so it uh, so it affords me a relatively uh, uh, easy schedule on the body clock. Uh, I, I mostly fly domestic, uh, continental U.S. So we get up to Canada, down to Mexico, and uh, somewhat into uh, Central America. I'm hoping to expand on that a little bit into South America and so forth. But by and large, uh, I'm in uh, uh, relatively few time zones as far as the uh, body clock change goes. So uh, at, at my age, that's that's been a blessing. So when I go traveling around the world overseas, I'm doing it for fun. I'm not doing it for work. Uh, I do know that uh, 
speaking with some of my uh, airline international uh, airline pilot friends uh it's uh it's it's brutal on the uh on the body to uh to travel overseas on a regular basis and uh that's something i i probably would have wanted to do uh 15 years ago when i was a little more resilient but uh now at my age i'm i'm not all that excited about it except for uh doing it uh on my free time you know, I'm glad you brought that Eric up, Eric, because I, I've gotten this question a few times. You know, what's it like to fly internationally? I just uh, started doing international flying a couple of months ago. And uh, you know what? It It is cool. It's neat to go places and get paid to stay there in the hotel. It's nice if you have a long overnight. That's that's really neat. But I will say one thing, uh, and I think you alluded to this, that the red eyes or or the night flying or the, the back end of the clock or the totally different time zones and changing uh, where you're going and, and what your time zone is can wear on you quite dramatically. As a matter of fact, sometimes what happens to me is I come home and I take a day just to recover. I mean, I am just absolutely wiped out. And I'm sure some of your friends have done that too, Eric. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, if you're flying overseas international, you, you take 24 hours minimum, uh, to recover at, at both ends, really, I would say. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's really tricky. You've got to plan ahead and, uh, try and, uh, 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 plan around your schedule in order to, uh, to stay lucid <laughs> during the times you need to be in the cockpit. Uh, so it really does take some uh, foresight and planning on that. And, uh, that's, that's one blessing that I have flying just, uh, mostly in the U.S. is it's not too tough on the body. Um, I, I also rarely at, at this point in my career, uh, have to do red eyes anymore. And, uh, I count that as a huge blessing. Um, uh, but, uh, even so it's, uh, it's, it's still pretty tough on the body clock, as you know. And that, another great point, and, you know, something I think people are uh, under the misconception that, hey, you know, I want to do the transcons, you know, that's usually when you do the transcons, a lot of times those are the ones that go to some junior people. And because uh, I do a bunch of transcons and I <laughs> tell you, they, they do, they wipe you out. It's the same thing as going to, say, uh, Europe, you know, going to Western Europe. It's just, you know, the, the times are the same. The flight times are similar. And you're you're just absolutely wiped out when you when you get home from one of those trips. I, yeah, I agree. I'll take that one step uh, further, Carl. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, your Brand X uh, airline does the same thing, but we have what's called a flip flop. We'll fly out to the East Coast on a red eye, stay uh, overnight in a hotel, over day in a hotel for 24 hours, and then fly back on the early morning flight. So we're switching from a red eye backside of the clock flight to an early morning departure. And, uh, man, that, that just wreaks havoc on your body. And, yeah. uh, doing that more than, uh, once, uh, a week is just insane. So I, I thank the lucky stars that I don't have to do that too much anymore, but I, I, I really feel for the, uh, the junior folks who have to do that. You know, it's interesting that you said that. A lot of it has to do with the timing of your flight. Now, don't get me wrong. The when you do the transcons during the day, they're I think they're easy. You know, when it's my time on my time on my time clock, it's easy. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but but <laughs> like what you just said on the those are those are really really rough trips. And you know what's interesting is that, and I'd like to get your input here. When you start getting more senior, I know a lot of senior guys that I fly with, they start doing more domestic turns. In other words, they go somewhere and come back. Say uh, the other day, I flew from Fort Lauderdale to JFK and then back. Super senior guys do those, and that, and the reason being is, like you said, there's less hassles. You're not over the water. You don't have to deal with making position reports. Uh, there's tons of airports if you have any issues. There's lots of places to go to for alternates, and it's a lot less stress. And and I tell you, I did that this week, and you know, I'd have to agree with them. I, you know, I used to do that at the regionals, and it's almost like regional flying, but the legs are different. They're long, right. and there's well, less here's long. here's what I'd say would be the number one reason that they're doing those turns, and that's. Uh, well, two reasons, really. One, it's gentlemen's hours. They're doing it in the daytime. And uh, two, they're sleeping in their own bed at night. Uh, that's that's a very good point, uh, sleeping in your own bed. Because some it, it all depends, is that if, if somebody, say, is commuting in uh, to their base and they don't actually live there, then a lot of times they want the overnights because then they can sleep in a hotel as opposed to a crash pad. You know, I, I really like the guys in my crash pad. They're t super terrific. <laughs> but I'm living in a house with 18 other guys, 
and that uh, snore. Yet snore, and at three in the morning they come in, they come out. You know, there's. Uh, I'd never actually done the crash pad thing before until this past year and a half, and uh, I'm definitely not going to do it anymore. Uh, it's just I'm, I'm going <laughs> to get my own place. That alone, you know, the sleep is a very important thing, and and like you said, with those transcons and nights, it's it's been pretty rough. But on the good side, though, I do get to go to some pretty cool places. I've never been Absolutely. to South America, and you know, I just started doing some Lima, Peru flights, and uh, oh, just, nice! Just just discovering those new new cultures. Well, now, now I'm jealous. <laughs> well, don't don't be because you can just go down there on your days off too. I think that would be Absolutely. that would be pretty cool. Although you know, again, there's this mix. It's like we can go on our days off, and but we can also go during those days that we're getting paid, and that's pretty awesome. Uh, a good example is uh, we don't go to Italy, to Rome, and that's my wife is actually from over in oh, Italy. And so now wow. I can go on another airline, like probably yours, Eric, and, uh-huh. and head on over there. I don't have to work for your airline to get there. You know, I can actually either jump seat or pass ride, just like you were talking about flying the world, and that's pretty darn awesome. Yeah, um, nice. I, I will say another thing that I, I love about this job uh, isn't just the flying. I mean, there's there's some really cool things we get to do. Like the other day, I got to uh, uh, land. I was in Newark, and they were doing this. It's 2-2 left was the runway, and they were circling to land at 2-9. And there was a really strong crosswind from the left. So we actually had to use our stick and rudder skills a little bit to land. It was quite exciting. But, you know, it, it's it's really, I don't know. I mean, the people that I'm with are pretty cool. They have some really interesting backgrounds. And usually oh, the people uh-huh. you fly with are, are, are pretty sharp people. I don't know what you feel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have to be pretty sharp people to be in this business, I think. And uh, one of the reasons you get that, uh, uh, one of the reasons you need to be sharp is because uh, you are fighting that uh, body clock and fatigue issue uh, constantly, uh, even though the FARs uh, have been recently changed, uh, supposedly they tell us improved. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's still I'm a laughing. major challenge, as you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say one thing. I think it's great is the new ten hours. You always get ten hours of rest, which yes. means I'm going to get eight hours of sleep before I might get only four hours, so or five hours. I think that's really cool. Um, as far as the rest of it, I'm not so sure. Just like you're, you're alluding to, I, I'm not right. so sure you really do do get that rest. Yeah, um, and from the uh, international folks that I've talked to, uh, they're they're not too happy with the uh, changes. It, it looks like there's some new concepts that are moving in the right direction, but I don't think we're quite there yet on the whole uh, fatigue issue yet. Yeah, I, I will say one thing that's helped is I, I do uh, some red-eye turns in the middle of the night where I'll leave at uh, midnight, go to someplace in the islands and come back and be back at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. A lot of those have gone away, uh, whereas you're flying down and now you're staying overnight or you're deadheading back. And that that's actually been a positive. So there's one more positive. But in general, uh, I'm not sure I've seen... Any much of a difference, much of a difference, but uh, yeah. Well, I actually, uh, I actually did a uh, wrote an article for uh, NYCAviation.com. Hope we can mention somebody else here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was a series of uh, articles on the FAR 117, the new fatigue and uh, rest rules, uh, and uh, several of of us pilots uh, took a crack at it. And my my take on it was it was really interesting. Uh, implementation uh, timing because it uh, popped into existence the very week we had a major winter storm hit the east coast <laughs> and there were lots of i'm sure you were in the mix there too yeah. there were lots of flights that had to cancel that otherwise would not have been canceled uh from the old FARs and the reason was is the uh fatigue duty uh, crew duty length and so forth so uh it it kind of depends on your perspective uh, that you're coming from. If you're a stranded passenger with a canceled flight, well, the new rules suck. But <laughs> right. if you're a, if you're from the pilot perspective, hey, they worked. I mean, th- this is this is a, a, a safety issue, and that's what the FAR was coming from. So, um, yes, it's a major uh, pain in the rear for uh, for the scheduling and the airlines and so forth. But uh, I. I think uh, it was a trial by fire or trial by ice and uh, ice storm. And uh, and I was kind of impressed with the uh, difference it made. Um, it, it, I don't know the statistics, but I'm going to guess it may, probably it probably uh, 
probably canceled about 25% more flights. And that doesn't sound like a good thing, but from a fatigue and a safety aspect, I think it is a good thing. Yes, I, I will say I kind of got stuck in that whole cancellation thing, and I was uh, I was down in Haiti, and uh, I couldn't make it back. And uh, we don't really have an overnight in Haiti, uh, so uh, the other downside to the new rules, uh, I know this is getting a little bit technical, but it's pretty interesting, is the fact that you cannot even fly under what's called Part 91 rules, where you can actually uh, ferry the airplane. That's all done with. So if you're somewhere and you need to ferry the airplane, you can't even ferry an airplane and move. That means that there's no passengers on the airplane or anything like that. You can't even move that airplane. Uh, well, that's something, I, uh, that's something I didn't realize. I learned something. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's actually pretty fascinating because we were, uh, we were sitting here trying to figure out where we could go. And, and our duty time kept extending, extending, extending. And, and we, uh, we had a circle of airports that we could go to. And that kept shrinking as we kept delaying the flight. And we finally were able to get out, but uh, you cannot oh. fly more than 16 hours, period. Uh, even if it's a, a dead-end ferry on the end of the flight, you can't do that. Wow. Uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a, a big uh, shocker to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is not good. But, well, this, uh, you know, as, as you and I both know, uh, the, the FARs are not, uh, are not necessarily written purely by common sense. There's a lot of politics thrown in. There's sure. a lot of, hey, what, let's, let's look good to the public kind of stuff. So that, that to me sounds like uh, one aspect of it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and Eric, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's an awesome point, is that, you know, a lot of times as an airline pilot, we have to work within these constraints, and these constraints don't make sense sometimes. And you wonder why. And, Eric, you hit the nail on the head, is that a lot of times rules are put in place not just for safety but for some political reason. Uh, and this may not have been proven yet. But but what, with my being the positive person I am, I'm hoping that we'll learn from this and, and move forward and have some more reasonable type of rules in the future. Absolutely, uh, yeah. We I, I think we've taken a tentative step in the right direction, but I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be we'll get there though i think we yeah. will but uh but you know eric it, it's really cool that you you get to fly this airbus and you know my my friends always they laugh at me that i i actually don't fly the plane it it, it takes me around on a trip and you know that, that's not <laughs> yeah that, that's far from the truth you actually still are engaged uh and as a captain i mean there's so many things you have to do uh and, and it's not just flying is it you're not just no, physically flying the plane. Not. i mean what are some of the things you have to do yeah, no, it's, you know, uh, I, I say this a lot on, uh, on my blog and talking to kids coming up. It's, uh, at, at, at this level of the game, uh, flying is nothing. Managing the flight is everything. So you're taking your tens of thousands of hours of experience and, uh, you're applying it to the job because, uh, the, the captain has to be, uh, the manager of the flight and he, he has to approach it from the safety aspect. So, um, both of you in the cockpit, uh, are highly trained to fly the airplane. That's nothing. And, uh, so, uh, this, this automation and so forth that comes with the, uh, with the Airbus and so forth, uh, I think is only positive for the most part, uh, because the flying aspect, uh, you just have to, take care of that and uh, and then you've got to get to the important part and that's the managing of it from a safety aspect. That's a great point. I think also uh, people don't think that we keep up our flying skills uh, manually. We do that in training. I mean, that, that's why we have training. It's not, uh, you're not yeah. going to get that out there on the line, especially uh, in normal operations. And that's why we do go to the simulator quite often. And uh, it's a bit of a, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge at times and can be nerve wracking. Uh, but, but it's it's also a great learning opportunity. Right. I found uh, absolutely. Know. I did a, I did a um, post recently that was really well received. Uh, I, I published that also on nycaviation.com about a recent medical emergency that I had a couple of months ago, and uh, I kind of put the reader in the driver's seat. You know what uh, what decisions do you have to make uh, while you're flying at uh, ten miles a minute, a mile every six seconds, and you've got to make good sound decisions uh do you you know you've got a passenger in back who's got a medical issue do you divert do you keep going uh you know and uh, we had an overweight landing situation uh uh if we had to uh, divert and land uh that we had to deal with so you're throwing all these uh 
all these issues in there and trying to come up with the proper decision. And uh, I, to me, that that whole story was a good lesson in CRM. And I have a whole whole bunch of notes at the end of the story itself about talking about the CRM, the communication going into it, and uh, the input from your first officer, from your flight attendants, from the uh, dispatcher, from air traffic control. Everybody's coordinating to uh, come up with the best decision and, uh, you know, and under the, under the name of safety and do the right thing. And that sounds actually somewhat of a, I'd have to say kind of fun. It's a challenge. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting part of the job too. I, 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 what do you feel? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, another podcast actually asked me uh, what was my favorite aspect of the uh, business. And I actually did bring up that very point. I think it's, uh, it's the challenge of making the proper sound decisions uh, with under pressure and real time situation at flying at uh, 10 miles a minute. And, uh, and it's, it's the culmination of your entire uh, life experience. Uh, and especially, of course, the flying experience, uh, throwing that into the mix. So it's very satisfying to be able to come up with the uh, proper solutions to, uh, to challenges such as that situation. And and not even uh, emergency situations. Say situations at the gate, just trying to get the airplane off the gate. There there yes. are so <laughs> many things going on. Maybe you could talk towards that and speak towards you know how many different things are happening and, and you know what what type of challenges are there trying to get the airplane off the gate? Yeah, absolutely. You have to uh, you have to trust that other people are going to do their job properly. Uh, that isn't always the case, but <laughs> uh, but uh, for the most part. You can't jump in and start micromanaging everybody else. So, uh, so right from the start, I'd say, you know, do your own job, sort of supervise the others that are, uh, under you, the first officer and the flight attendant, uh, trust that they're going to be doing the right thing. But as situations crop up, uh, they're going to be looking to you for guidance, uh, and decisions. You know, here's, we got a passenger issue back here. Do we, do we kick them off? Do we deal with it and continue on so forth? And that's a decision you have to make. So, uh, and, and that brings up a point, uh, that I, I make very clear to my flight attendants in the uh, pre-briefing. And that is that, uh, Hey, uh, if you have a problem back there, uh, I'll take the blame and do the paperwork on it. And I, I say it exactly that way. I, I say it with kind of a smirk on my face, but it relieves them of the pressure of, the hard decision. They're they're not second guessing. Oh well, will the captain back me up if I have a problem with the passenger and so forth? Uh, I tell them right up front, I will back you up a hundred percent, and I'll take the heat for it. Uh, and that that goes a long way to uh, not only helping in a tense situation or a actual uh, problem back there, but but even just the crew functioning on a normal flight with no issues. It helps greases the wheel. So they, they trust you, they have confidence in you, and they have confidence uh, in their own decision. That kind of, kind of lowers the level of uh, tension for them, if you will, uh, to help them better do their job as well. Yeah, and it, it's, I think that's a great point. And also the fact that, you know, you, you actually make everything a smoother transition. Say there's something going on in the jetway that's off the aircraft. Uh, that actually helps them deal with that. And, and you know, I, I think that here's a, a good example. I was going to have you try to give us an example of something that is a challenge on the ground. Uh, you know, specifically, I know um, we have we had a flight where we had some weight and balance issues, and there's always a weight and balance issue with this flight. Well, the captain ahead of time, he preempted it by saying, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do. And we were able to get the flight off the gate on time, which this flight has a bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, do you have any examples, you know, that could maybe from that example feed into something where, you know, hey, there's a plan that came together and we're not even in the air yet. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know what? That uh, that's a excuse me. That's a good example of uh, of a crew and a captain being proactive. You've got experience with that issue you know and can anticipate that that's coming up i mean that that goes back to fundamental flying skills uh as you build your experience you start seeing trends in uh issues that would crop up regularly and uh you can start anticipating them and uh, dealing with them before they become an issue uh so that i mean i could i'd apply that uh 
that sample, that example to uh, just about every aspect of your flying, even even down to uh, shooting the ILS to minimums, uh, doing the briefing halfway across the country before you get to that point. You brief uh, fully, brief the approach at uh, the low workload area up at cruise altitude. So you and your first officer are on the same page on exactly what's going to happen at the far end uh, when you shoot that uh, approach to minimums. Yeah, Eric, this sounds like a real challenge, flying the, an Airbus at the, at the airline. Uh, the actual airplane itself, though, sounds like it, it's not quite as much of the challenge usually. Uh, you know, the, the A320, I, I was going to ask you what your, your favorite thing is about the airplane, and I kind of I sprung this on you. So I'll, I'll kind of, since we fly the same plane, I'll tell you one of my favorite things is is the comfort in the cockpit. I've been in the cockpit of many different airplanes, and and even bigger airplanes than, than the A320, and boy, I tell you, it's so comfortable and actually flying is just, its a, I think it's great. I mean, I, I love the comfort and the lack of noise and the fact that I can actually cross my legs when I'm flying in cruise yeah. flight. <laughs> that, you know, that sounds trivial, but that is a, a, major, uh, a major comfort factor for you. And, uh, it, and, and the comfort all boils down to fatigue. You're in that cockpit for hours and hours. You don't want to be fatigued at the far end. So the fact that Airbus has designed that cockpit to... Uh, uh, it, the term is ergonomically designed. They've designed it with humans in mind. I mean, even down to the cup holder by your left elbow, you know. Right, right. That's <laughs> uh, uh, just uh, really handy. And the, the side stick, I love the side stick. I don't ever want to go back to flying a yoke again in the middle where I can't cross my legs. So the the two favorite uh, parts of the Airbus, the side stick and the uh, tray table. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of guys I, I talk to at Boeing, and they say, oh, you know, why why would you want to fly with a side stick? You know, it's it, you want to have that yoke in front of you. I was like, well, you know, so the two of the some of the most popular planes out there, the Cirrus for general aviation and, and mm-hmm. the Airbus have a side stick on the side. You know, why do you really need that in the middle to, to get in your Absolutely. way of the, the, the instruments? Is that all? <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd love nothing more than to go jump in a World War One biplane uh, with yeah. a stick between my legs and do that whole stick and rudder thing, but... When it comes to uh, heading to work, I want the most comfortable uh, situation. I, I love the uh, side stick. You know, a lot of a lot of kids contact me from my blog, and they say, <clears throat> "Excuse me." A lot of kids contact me from my blog, and they say, "Oh, you fly the scare bus, ha 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 ha!" You know, <laughs> and they're, of course they're talking about the automation, the fly by wire stuff. But that just comes from a, a lack of knowledge of right. the systems and so forth. I think you'd agree with oh, me, definitely. Carl. Oh, yeah. Uh, as an Airbus pilot yourself, there's there's redundancy and uh, backups upon backups. Uh, so uh, one of the examples that I uh, mentioned, sorry, you probably yeah, you have your co-pilot yeah. with you right here. Yeah, this is this is uh, <laughs> I call him uh, my vicious attack cat, Tarzan. <laughs> Tarzan, and uh, he's a he's a very high maintenance cat. <laughs> And uh, I, in fact, I include him in the blog once in a while. He's a bit of a star on the blog. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> so he's demanding my attention for the moment. <laughs> but uh, one of the, uh, thank you, babe. Yeah. One of the um, examples I like to bring up is the uh, Sioux City crash, the DC-10. Uh, they had uh, the uh, aft engine, I believe it was, uh, disintegrate, and it severed the hydraulic systems. Right. And uh, and that DC-10 had to be flown uh, crippled and land and they did a miraculous job of saving a portion of the passengers now we lost a lot of them too which is it was a tragedy but i don't believe that would have happened in an airbus uh there's so much redundancy with the fly-by-wire systems i think we would have had a fully functional airplane it would have been an emergency but i think that uh, would have survived in a similar situation and it boils down to uh, redundancy in the airplane and uh, that that term in aviation by the way is uh the the term redundancy has a little bit of a negative connotation but in aviation it's positive it means backup systems yes yes not just uh, hydraulic systems but also computer systems yes and, absolutely. and 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 systems that can go into failure modes and figure out things like if there's a slat that's stuck it can figure that out and then proportionately uh, deploy certain other controls so you'll get the same kind of feel when you're turning. I think that's fascinating to mm-hmm. me. It's amazing what some of these airplanes can do. Yeah. Um, really so I'd have to agree with you on that one. 
But you know, it's it. This is such a neat airplane. We could talk about the Airbus all day long. And oh yeah. And and I, you know, there's some cool pictures on your website, which uh, I'll, I'll, we'll definitely get to that and let you know where they can get. Uh, and and we'll have links, by the way, Absolutely. at Aviation Careers Podcast to your Great. website. <laughs> but you know, you mentioned something there, and I, and and this is something that I like to. You know, I'm a general aviation guy, also. On my days off, I actually fly little airplanes. Uh, you actually have some experience flying little airplanes, and. One of the things that you have experience with is something that I get many questions from my listeners about, and that's actually flying as a bush pilot, and especially in Alaska. And, and you've done that, haven't you? Uh, yeah, that was sort of the uh, beginning of my career, the, the thing that really got me uh, uh, moving forward in my uh, aviation career was uh, heading up to Alaska, and uh, I, I, I basically got a job by a phone call. My buddy was up there flying, and... Um, his outfit was looking for more pilots, and they said, hey, do you know anybody? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And he he made a phone call, and three days later, I was flying the bush in Alaska. Cool. So, you know, if you're going to look at this as a, as a career, I'm sure there are some people that want to look at being a bush pilot as a career. And I actually do know some people that do that. Do you have any advice for somebody that wants to look at that, not just as a stepping stone, but somebody who who might think about just plunking down in Alaska and, or anywhere and being a bush pilot. Yeah, you know, I, I don't care who you are. If you go fly the bush in Alaska, uh, two things are going to happen. You're going to become ten times the pilot you went up there as. And uh, you're, if you leave Alaska, you're going to leave a huge chunk of your heart behind. Hmm. It is just a, a magnificent country. And uh, I, I really felt like... Uh, both in the sky and on the ground, that I was just living life on the edge from day to day. And uh, I don't mean that necessarily from a hazardous standpoint, but just uh, everything was just amazing. Just the, the, the beautiful scenery, the, uh, the wildlife, the uh, uh, crazy people that you run into. I, I just felt like I was, uh, I was living life to the fullest up there. You know, a lot of us think that flying in Alaska is just uh, stick and rudder skills. But, you know, I have, uh, most of my friends that are up there, after I get talking to them for a while, it seems like they're actually using their brain a lot more than you would think. There's a lot of planning, and you can't get complacent, it sounds like, up there. No, you know, I uh, we haven't mentioned this. I wrote a novel called The Last Bush Pilots. It was inspired by my uh, time up there. Uh, just by what I mentioned, the uh, the amazing country and the crazy characters you run into in situations, and uh, that that really is it. You're uh, <laughs> you're uh, flying eh, sort of by the seat of your pants, but uh, again, again, we go back to the uh, uh, to the planning ahead. But there's there's one thing that dominates your uh, flying on every single flight up there, and that's Mother Nature. Uh, and, uh, it, in fact, in my book, that becomes a very real thing. You're, the, she's very personified. Uh, it, it's almost like you're fighting it with, with a, uh, adversary who's determined to kill you. And <laughs> you do that on every flight. So you're always, always aware of the, uh, volatile changing situation in the skies. And, uh, you've, you've got to have a backup plan to your backup plans. So if somebody wants to go up there, um, you know, maybe they just got the commercial license. Uh, any suggestions as far as, you know, you, you went up there and got a job. How many hours did you have? Right. Uh, when I went up there, I had, I think, about 2,200 hours, um, which was pretty pretty good for a, a relatively beginning uh, time. But uh, the real tough part is the uh, is the Alaska time. And, and and I know you as an airline pilot have run into this situation over and over again. Our our entire career is filled with that catch-22 dilemma of you can't get the job without the time and you can't get the time without the job. Right. And uh, that's, that goes for Alaska, too. Uh, it's hard to get a job by sending him a resume from the lower 48s, for example. Uh, but uh unless you have a backdoor connection uh you kind of if you if you really want to get it with a relatively low time uh, experience you've got to go up there and start knocking on people's doors and camping on their doorsteps and and networking and meeting people uh my buddy uh Kevin who got me the job for example uh started going up there every summer between uh semesters in college and he 
Uh, he started by getting a job, uh, of all things as a maid in Denali Park. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, he started schmoozing all the, uh, department heads, uh, of that, uh, in that situation. He said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a pilot and a flight instructor. You guys, uh, want any, want to learn to fly and, and, uh, by uh, coincidence or maybe not coincidence, uh, a lot of them did. And uh, one of them actually had a Cessna and he started flight instructing and teaching these people, uh, I think for free just to build hours and build Alaska hours. And by the end of the summer, uh, he had, uh, you know, several hundred hours of Alaska time and suddenly he was employable. So you kind of have to create your own opportunity. Uh, but there are lots of opportunities up there. And I think you touched on something that we talk about a lot on the show is networking, networking, networking. It's, it's yes. so important to network. That, and that's in any any type of job, no matter what you're doing. Uh, it's important to get to know people because a lot of times you can. You can get that job without uh, having a really good-looking resume, but but you know somebody there and they're willing to work with you. So I think that's really important. Yeah, so, absolutely. That, um, that same situation happened to me down in the Caribbean when I was flying for the uh, Virgin Island Seaplane Shuttle. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, uh, I was down there. Uh, I, I kind of got a job at the end of the summer from, uh, bush flying. Uh, I pretty much got a job over the phone in the Virgin Islands, uh, at the end of our summer season. And, uh, and, and, and I can tell you right up front, the, the reason I got hired by the phone is because I was a bush pilot. Suddenly, suddenly I have this impressive resume that I flew in Alaska and, uh, the, uh, you know the the view is, and I think it's uh, it's a true view that uh, you know pilots pilots up in Alaska, if they if they've survived up there, <laughs> they're they're one hell of a pilot. So right, right. Uh, so I pretty much got a job over the phone. I went down there, and uh, the reality of the job was uh, not what I expected. There was um, uh, I won't I won't talk too much about it, but it, the short story is that I quit after two months down there. And suddenly I'm here stranded in the uh, Virgin Islands with no job. <laughs> oh, no. The only the only job I ever walked away from it was a safety issue. Right. Uh, but uh, well, actually, for that that you actually yeah. walked away from it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but actually uh, it turned out to be a stroke of luck because uh, within a few weeks uh, there was a interview going on with a Virgin Island seaplane shuttle. And, uh, I wasn't officially invited to the interview, but, uh, one of the buddies that I had been flying with that I befriended down there again, networking was invited to the interview. So I tagged along with him and uh, I was hoping to get a first officer job on the new twin otters that they were, uh, putting into a uh, service. And, uh, I showed up hoping uh, for an FO slot and uh, the uh, the ground school class uh, showed up. All the first officers showed up, but only half the captains. Oh, no. So they're desperately looking around. Hey, who has time? Who has time? Well, I pushed my logbook over and says, well, by the way, I have this kind of time. And they said, you're hired. You're captain. <laughs> wow. So here I am in the somewhat of a third world environment, um, hoping for a first officer job. And, and I really kind of lucked into the left seat right away in a, in a twin engine turboprop, um, because I had, uh, the experience and so forth. But, uh, talk about creating your own opportunity. I had to be there and had to roll the dice and take the chance and it paid off. Well, that's awesome. You know, you never know. This is really a serendipitous journey, this, this aviation yes. career in our life in general. And we, <laughs> we, we go down one path and we don't realize where it's going to bring us. It, it just have to have faith in yourself and, and enjoy the, uh, you know, I think, personally enjoying the journey is incredibly important and it sounds like by your enjoying the journey you've actually had a lot of doors open for you wouldn't you think yeah absolutely uh that was that was one thing that i was really looking forward to uh early on in my career i knew i had to pay my dues quote unquote uh got to get out there and fly the crummy jobs with the crummy paychecks and so forth and i just decided ahead of time hey if i'm gonna i'm gonna pay my dues, I'm going to do it in a cool part of the world. And uh, so, hence Alaska came up, Virgin Islands came up. I was always looking for that sort of uh, alternative uh, uh, flying uh, position rather than uh, just sticking with, uh, you know, the, the Brand X commuter flying 
uh, and living in a crash pad with six other guys. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> or 18, yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And looking back, it really paid off for me. You know, uh, you, you just uh, have to open your mind to other possibilities and be willing to take the chances. And that's, that's a very important point because I think people, you know, I just did a job fair and I, I talked about this in the last show is that people, you know, turn their noses up to a lot of jobs and those jobs actually were perfect for them and they wouldn't even look at that. But you have to look, you have to say to yourself, is this going to help me move forward in my career? And not only that, you may like it. You may wind up even staying where, where you're flying. I, I know people have actually gone to the Caribbean and are still there. They yeah. haven't left. They just love it so much. You know, I haven't lived yeah. in the Caribbean. I, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, but, you know, I get a chance to go down there when I want to now, which is kind of cool. Uh, so now I'm flying to the Caribbean, but I'm doing it in an Airbus that has really good air conditioning. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole different story now. That's a big difference, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is a huge, huge difference. Yeah, uh, I, want, uh, I want the uh, phone numbers of your connections down there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never give those up. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting that the, in the Caribbean, uh, things change all over. It, it's one of these small areas, but every country is so different and unique, and the rules are so different and unique when you get there. Uh, yeah. You know, I, yeah, I never... Every island, every, every single island is different and unique. It's yeah. amazing. It, it really, really is. So that that's really, I think, having the opportunity to do that was so cool, Eric. I think that's awesome for you, you know, and that that's something you can you can talk about now for the, for the rest of your life. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the biggest adventures I've had in my career looking back was... Uh, in the Virgin Islands, uh, getting blown away by Hurricane Hugo, which, uh, made a direct hit on St. Croix where I was based. And it, it wiped out my airline. I mean, we went chapter seven after that. Wow. Uh, wow. I carried, I carried a machete in my car around for two weeks because it was just absolute anarchy. There was no government, wow. no aid, no assistance. There's rampant looting, gunshots, uh, in the middle of the night and so forth. So it's, it's pretty wild and crazy times. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say it's it's not the dream that we think of sometimes in the Caribbean. You know, there there's a government there too, and right. sometimes you have to deal with with the lack of government also, depending yeah. on what island you're on. I luckily I had I was on an island that only had 350 people, so uh, wow. it, was, it was a pretty small uh, government if we had to to form one. <laughs> wow. But uh, that that is awesome, uh, Eric. And you know, it's interesting. I uh, unfortunately we don't have a, a lot more time, but there's a couple things I want to talk about before we, okay. before we go. Speaking of which, you know, my um, weather weather affects everybody. You know, we're here doing this podcast. I'm actually in Florida right now, and we have this big gust front coming through, and uh, have a couple of tornado watches, and our, our my lights are flickering. So, uh, you know, even being on the ground, it can be somewhat dangerous. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> not just not just flying. <laughs> yeah. but you know, uh, that's. Uh, uh, Speaking of weather, um, and we were talking about Alaska and where weather really dominates your, your flying. Uh, I just had a, an article published in Airways magazine. Uh, you can pick those up in, you know, any Barnes and Noble and so forth. It's a May issue, May 2014 issue. And, uh, it's called The Sky Fell. And it's a true story of my time flying in Alaska when, uh, the sky literally falls. You know, you've got the, the air is so soggy with this low overcast that, uh, the, the, the sky just comes down and you're up there flying VFR under the clouds, uh, scud running basically is the term for it, uh, dodging the clouds and you're, you're squeezed between the clouds and the mountainous terrain out there. You've got very little in the way of electronic navigation aids and, uh, and every once in a while, something like that happens. So uh, I have that story in there. That's a real watershed moment uh, in my career. And there's actually a fictional version of that story in my uh, in my novel, Last Bush Pilots, as well. Uh, but uh, anybody going up to Alaska to fly would uh, do well to uh, read that story. <laughs> Well, I tell you what we'll do is uh, all these things you've mentioned, we're going to have some uh -huh. links at the bottom of the podcast so that, that people can go out there and find those. It's going to be at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 54. So, uh, and if I'd appreciate you if you're listening right now to, to go out there and, and link to them because that does help support this, this podcast here. I'm sure you have that in Amazon and a couple of different places, some of those, those books and magazines, et cetera. But you know, it's, yes. that's, such a cool story, I tell you. I, I, I'm definitely going to go run out and, and get that issue uh, and check that out and see uh, about the sky falling basically on you. That's that's pretty interesting stuff. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, before I, I let you go today, there's two more 
two more questions I have for you. One, uh, sure. one big one. Um, here we are. We've come full circle in this conversation, but we we went from your being twenty thousand hours or more than that as a captain on an Airbus A three twenty. And here I am, and people know that I'm extremely passionate about flying. I love flying. I love being surrounded by people that fly. How in the world do you keep that passion for flying going after all these years? Uh, you know, it's it's sort of easy, but then again, you have to be proactive at it. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we'll circle back to the original answer, and that is your attitude. It's all about your attitude. Um, but Secondly, uh, you, you've got to, uh, remember why you got into this business to begin with. Uh, you know, I've dreamt of being a pilot from age five. I had dreams of flying, literal dreams of flying. Uh, and, uh, flew a hang glider when I was 15 years old, uh, much to my parents' dismay. <laughs> and I was obsessed with it. You know, I, I, I built, uh, model airplanes all through grade school and stuff. Uh, so that was always a career for me. And, uh, I think it really helps you, uh, to avoid the, uh, the whole airline pilot burnout by remembering that you're sitting in a chair in the sky. You, you have a magical career. I mean, a magical job, I should say. The career might suck, <laughs> but the, the job itself is phenomenal. Uh, you're, you're flying an airplane and you're making money at it. So I don't care what, where you are. If you're a freight dog flying a single engine plane, uh, every night and uh, building time and getting paid, uh, diddly squat for it on food stamp wages. Hey, you know what? You're still living out your dream. So you've got to, you've just got to keep hold of that, uh, that, uh, reminder that, uh, there's nothing else out there for you to do. You're, you were born to be an air, airline pilot and, uh, you have the best office view in the world. Well, Eric, I think that's some terrific advice. I think uh, keeping the passion alive, you have to do have to look back at why you're doing this. You know, why is it that you, you got into this? And remember, you are sitting in a chair in the sky, like you put it. That's, yeah. it's absolutely beautiful being able to see all those wonderful sights from the air. And uh, I think we forget that sometimes. Uh, a lot of guys get in the plane and they just, all they're doing is counting the number of hours they're getting paid for. And yeah, well, you don't I, want I have to become to, that. Oh, absolutely. I, I have to uh, credit that quote to comedian Louis C.K. Yep. He's the one that said that. <laughs> I'll have a, I'll have a link to that. i got to find that oh, link cool. again. But okay. it's an awesome, yeah, uh, and if you have it, definitely send it to me. Because that is such a cool, uh, it's a more of an adult uh type of a, 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 a skit, skit. I don't know if they have a non-adult version, but it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, maybe oh, I, yeah. could, I could boil it down and, and write about it on the website. But, uh, cool. you know, it really is neat, though, Eric, to talk to somebody that actually is incredibly passionate about flying. And and that's what, you know, we at Aviation Careers Podcast do. We, we want everybody to know that they should get into something they're passionate about. And I, I saw this quote online. A very popular uh, radio host said that, you know, you really have to look at something that you love to do, because if you don't, you're going to hate every minute of it if you yeah. just for the money. That's uh, right. Going back to these people that I counsel that say, hey, listen, they, I was told I was going to make six figures after five years. Well, yeah, it's possible, uh, but if that's the reason you got into it and you're not making six figures after five years, uh, you're going to be really disappointed. Don't do it for the money. <laughs> if you listen to Eric, Eric hasn't really talked about much as far as the pay is concerned. As a matter of fact, anything we've talked about seems to have been a challenge more so than anything as far as pay is concerned. And it's not till recently that sounds like you've really uh, financially uh, found some place that you really want to be. But but you've been able to take all these years and have fun with what you're doing. I mean, you're getting paid to have fun. That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's hard work, but yes. you you definitely uh, keep that right attitude and you will have fun. Well, I, I, Eric, that, that's a great way to, to close up here. As a matter of fact, what I want to do is make sure that if the listeners want to get in touch with you, if they send me an email and have a question for you, I'd like to forward that to you. And maybe you could answer that or possibly come on again sometime and answer some questions that they have. I think that would be Oh, awesome. yeah. I'd, I'd be delighted. I, uh, I answer uh, questions every single day. I've got uh, <laughs> got an inbox full of them, uh, and uh, either by email or on my Facebook page associated with my blog and so forth. 
uh, always answering those questions, always happy to answer those questions. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. For those uh, of you that have written in questions to, to this podcast, we're about two weeks behind right now on questions. Uh, as you know, I went to Sun and Fun, and I'm really trying to get to answer all those questions. I know some questions are, are a few pages long, and I, and I really appreciate those. Uh, they take a lot of thought to respond to. And we are going to have another episode where we do just a question and answer like we've done in the past, and we're going to consistently put those out for you. So, so hang in there. Uh, the answers are coming. I, I know I said that in a couple uh, podcasts in the past, but it's, uh, like I said, that they're wonderful questions, and I, I really, like I said, I'll, I'll forward them on to Eric. But Eric, how are we going to get in touch with you? Let us know all the different places that they can find you on the Internet and how they can get in touch with you. Well, sure. Uh, you know, uh, we haven't mentioned uh, what my, uh, my, my name is on my blog, and that's Captain Ox. Right. Uh, so uh, a lot of people know me as Captain Ox, and it's not uh, Captain, but C-A-P-N. Aux, A-U-X, C-A-P-N-A-U-X. So usually that's the way to get a hold of me. So uh, uh, by email, it's uh, capanox at gmail.com, C-A-P-N-A-U-X at gmail.com. Uh, I uh, have uh, the blog at capanox.com, C-A-P-N-A-U-X.com. And uh, I have a Facebook page associated with that, facebook.com slash capanox. And uh, I'm on that blog, uh, I'm on that Facebook page every single day, posting photos, talking, uh, chatting with different people and so forth. It's a pretty active Facebook page. Um, and uh, you can throw that in uh, just about any media, Twitter, um, at Capanox, uh, Instagram, Capanox. So uh, hopefully it made it real easy for you to find me. <laughs> that seems pretty easy. As a matter of fact, I'd suggest people go to that website, Capnox. I have a link, Capnox.com. Uh, he actually has links to all those things he just talked about. Uh, so that's a, a great way to find you and everything about you and more information and all the articles that you do. And I'm sure you're going to be constantly blogging. And, and there's some really, there's a really cool video, by the way. Uh, I may actually put that on the website here at uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com so you can enjoy uh, his little uh, YouTube video. That's uh, It's a short one, but it's awesome. Uh, and so it shows a little bit about the passion of flying, and uh, we'd really, really love to do that. Well, Eric, is there anything else that, that you need to tell us before we move on here? Any any last minute tidbits of advice? Um, yeah. As soon as you asked me that, it flew out of my head. I had something, <laughs> <laughs> something really say, important. Uh, yeah. No, actually, uh, yeah. The one thing I really would like to mention, uh, I, I have uh, written two novels. I'm in the process of writing a third one, but. Uh, I have that on hold right now. I'm, I am, uh, publishing a third book that is a collection of the stories from my past. It's called There I Was, uh, Adventures from Over Three Decades in the Sky. And I'm, uh, issuing it as an ebook. Uh, it'll come out in June. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I, I found out very quickly it's gotta be, uh, it's going to have to be uh, volume one. I'm going to actually have several <laughs> volumes because I have so many adventures to share. So it's a collection of stories, not only from my blog, but from uh, other places that I've written uh, for uh, NYC Aviation, for Airways Magazine, Plane and Pilot, uh, some of the other publications, and several unpublished stories, as well as uh, a couple of guest stories from other pilots. So I'm really excited about that. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing that. And again, it's coming out in ebook in June, and we probably will eventually uh, put it out in print as well. Awesome. And, and you know what? We'll put some links to that on, on our website here. So if you want to find those things, come on and, and click on those. I, I highly encourage you to go out there and, and take a look and, and review those books. And I, I think you'll like them. I've read parts of them, and it's really good. Uh, his articles are great on his website, and I really uh, really do appreciate you have, having you here, Eric. And, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Oh, my pleasure, Carl. It's been a wonderful morning. Great chatting with you. <laughs> Thanks so much. And and if you're listening right now and you want to find information about all the things we talked about, of course, I have extensive notes uh, at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 54. Also, if you like the show, I'd appreciate you going out to our sponsors page. And uh, it's right there on the homepage. Our sponsors are on the right. If you can, go go visit them. Uh, and that's what helps support this podcast. Uh, also, many of you have written in and asked me about different books you can read about careers in aviation. Obviously, Captain Ox here. You know, send us an email. I just want you to do one more thing for me, though, before you go. I want you to think of one thing that you can do, one step that you can take to move towards your career goal 
and do that one thing. Write it down. Stop your car if you're listening in your car right now. And, and, and remember that and do that one thing. I don't care what it is. It could be reading a chapter. It could be learning one more thing about weather what, or it's calling somebody about a job. Just do that one thing. And if you want to share that with us, send us an email. Well, folks, again, I appreciate you listening. It's Carl Valeri. Safe flying. We'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.